When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is. Let's see. The 5th of August, 2020, and it is time for Morning Combat. Hello, everybody. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm not sure if I can hear anybody, but you can see the gentleman to my left. He is the Iceman, the man in the hat. He's my friend and yours. It's Chuck Mendenhall. Hi, Chuck Mendenhall. What's up, Luke? Feels like a minute since we did one of these, and it was only like two weeks ago, my friend. I missed you. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hold on, Chuck. I actually can't hear you for some reason. Sure enough, at the beginning of the show, my fucking ear pods don't work or whatever Uh-oh. they're called. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Hold on. I'll go right, back in right. one more time. Let's try it again. All right, man. There we go. How are you, Chuck? Sorry about that. I am well, my friend. I said it, it hey, feels like it's been a little while. Can you hear me now? For some reason, I can't hear you again. Okay. Uh-oh. What the fuck? All Here right. we go. Hold All on. right. This is reminiscent. Now we're that. good. Okay. <laughs> this is reminiscent of the old beat days. <laughs> okay. <laughs> kind of low-grade operation we're running Chuck. Here. How are you? <laughs> I am well. I should tell you this time that I'm really shitty, man. I should just, I should lie to you now. But uh, no, I'm really well. I said it feels like a few minutes since we've done this, and I just was thinking about it. It's only been a couple of weeks. So um, I'm happy to be back, man. It's always fun. I love the invite, and uh, happy to see you, man. Yeah, I'm having earbud issues. I can hear you now because I took it off my thing. So I'm going to try putting it in the other ear. This wasn't happening before, but now it is. All right. So let's see if this works a little bit better. Let's see if I can get a little bit better results here. Uh, let's try it, Chuck. Uh, let's see here. Uh, goddamn, <laughs> this is annoying as hell. Um, if, if, if it's not one thing, it's the other, my friend. Yes. Let's see. I like, um, I like real time troubleshooting, Luke. This is, this is fun. This is good. Uh, this is good TV. Okay. Now I can hear <laughs> you right. in my ear pods Perfect. much better. All right. Very good. Chuck, what a wonderful Friday. It is the, it is the 5th of August. Excuse me. Sorry for the trouble with the intros. We're good, uh, good and locked on now. Now you are joining me from. Wonderful Connecticut. How is Connecticut in the summer? What's a summer in Connecticut like? It is, uh, it's like standing in Brian Campbell's shade, you know, because he's, uh, he's the king of this state, right? Like, <laughs> it's, uh, it's hot and humid and uh, generally miserable, I would say. Uh, and, and the winters aren't much better because it, then it gets cold and gloomy and ice storms and stuff like that. So the real only good season out here is probably the fall. I would say that that's probably true. What do people do for like... Because I know there's a couple of options. What do you do for like a, oh, I want to get away to the water with the fam? Where do you go in Connecticut <laughs> when, that's the, when that's the goal? Well, you can go down 
to the sound, which some people do. I mean, there's like a couple of lakes. This sounds kind of silly, but uh, when you're when you're a little bit landlocked, you can. There are a couple of lakes that have these beaches where a lot of kids go and stuff like that. So um, those are options. And and if you wanted to go to the sound, I mean, it's probably 25, 30 minutes from where it's a very small state. So um, you can find water, but it's not generally known for that. You know what I mean? Like it's not mm -hmm. going to be like the beaches that you're used to out there in D.C. Well, the beaches around here are just full of Maryland purple camo donks with <laughs> Old Bay under their fingernails. I mean, yeah. it's not, you know. Old there's Bay. actually a bunch of nice beaches around here, but they're kind of actually they're a little bit hard to get to from D.C. in the sense that, like, Virginia Beach is four hours away, yeah. which is okay. And then there's, like, Dewey, and then there's Ocean City, and there's Rehoboth. And some of those are nice, but by yeah. the time, if you leave on a Friday, bro, like, you, you know, it's, it's an all-day trip to get there. Like, I know. Eh, I'm, not, I'm not doing all that shit. Well, we make an annual trek to Virginia Beach. You know Sandbridge, that area down in there? Yes. We make an annual mm -hmm. trek down there, and that kind of, uh, you know, fills the need for water for the whole year for me. I don't, I'm not the biggest beach guy, man, but I enjoy it for a little while if I can drink on the beach and hang out, so it's okay. <laughs> See, I love the beach. Also, shout-outs to uh, Outer Banks area and the, and the Duck area in North <laughs> Carolina. Those are pretty fun. All right. On the docket today here, uh, Chuck, let's see. We've got some big news about a big UFC fight. There is a fight night card this weekend, but boy, it is not strong. We'll talk about that a little bit later. PFL is back tonight. We'll give you a brief overview of that. We have a bunch of fights that were announced, sort of smaller ones we'll do collectively. And then we're going to play a little game called Buy or Sell yes. with Chuck Mindenhall. I'm looking forward to that a little yes. bit later. want to remind everyone, you can give us a follow on social media. Put the graphic up there below if you'd be so inclined. There we go. You can see it there for old Charles is there himself. Uh, by the way, Chuck, it's got really nothing to do with your name, but I did see the new Top Gun, which has Iceman in it. As you know, I think I'm the only guy who calls you Iceman. Uh, have you seen the actually, new Top Gun? Actually, that's probably Gun? true, but you have such a, a cult rabid following that um, since you started doing that, I have a lot more people calling me that, but you were the first for sure. Okay. Did you see yeah. the new Top Gun? I have not seen it yet. It's like, you know how they used to have the dollar theater after it made its its run at the regular <laughs> theater? They have it playing at our little town hall uh, like for this week. So I, I intend to see it, but I have not seen it yet. It's the weirdest movie. It's very fun. It's like really yeah. fun. Like you should really go see it, but it's really better weird than because, Thor. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> I saw your review, so I could take a dump in my hand and throw it at the wall. And that's more effort that they put into that piece of trash movie. But uh what I was going to say was it's real, the, the Top Gun movie is really weird because it's good. Don't get me wrong. Like you should go see it, but they never, they, like they, there's this big mission that everyone has to carry out and they never name who the mission is against, like what country, what territory, what, you know, organization, nothing like they just, they just Cryptic. go through with it. Yeah. Hey, you know, the weird. original, you know, the original goose, uh, from the, from the, the original Top Gun lives in my town here. Is that right? Yeah, we see him in the grocery store and, uh, you know, about town. We're a very weird celebrity who lives here. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. I want to yeah. remind folks, if you want to get Showtime, Showtime.com is the label that pays. That includes Bellator. That includes Showtime Championship Boxing. That includes the W. Kamau Bell Cosby documentary on the app. Lots of different stuff. You can stream it for 30 days. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go pound sand. We also have merch, <laughs> morningcombat.store. Now, you, you do have merch because here's the thing here, right, Chuck? We had Rashad yeah. on Monday, the guest hosting. He had one MK shirt. We had okay. Danny on Wednesday. He had nothing. I feel Whoa. like you've got some MK merch, right? Yes. Uh, Courtney hooked it up, man. She like sent me a, a nice box of stuff. I have a, actually I have a coffee mug, too, which is really awesome. But I'm wearing one right now, as a matter of fact. Yes, I'm a donk. Certified donk. That. Yes. So yes. Uh, I do. I have like maybe 
I have maybe uh, three or four t-shirts and then the hoodie, the hoodie with your uh, your face on it, which I wear in the winter. It's a heavy hoodie, but I love that thing. It man. is. Yes, yeah, it's very, it's very comfortable. What can I do to get the hat without paying for it? That's really what I want to know, Chuck. <laughs> well, you just uh, you just send me your address and I will get you one. And and Sweet. your head size. I need to know yeah. that as well. Well, just the largest I saw, that I saw you Campbell. Have. I saw Campbell pimping it out, man. That was awesome. I got yes. like a bunch of sales right after that. I was like, what happened? Somebody must have mentioned it. And it turns out it was the influencer himself who, who put it out there. So we'll yeah. take that, man. I yeah. actually like those styles of hats. I just yeah. don't really wear it that often, but I would love right. to get one. All right. Yeah. Uh, with that out of the way and with our tech issues behind us, oh, I never do it, but let me remind folks, I forgot the last two episodes. MK is nominated for the World yeah. MMA Awards in back-to-back years, and since I didn't pimp it earlier in the week, let me do that now. You can use the QR code that is on your screen if you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform. Let me read you the link. It's worldmmaawards, plural, dot com. Slash nominees, worldmmaawards.com slash nominees. Chuck, you've been uh, you nominated a bunch of times as well. We won together as part of MMA fighting when yeah. the, the site won. When was the last time you went to a World MMA Awards event? So let's see, I was at The Athletic. It was in 2019 was the last one I went to. Dolph Lundgren was uh, the host. It was actually... <laughs> You know those. Th- you went to the last year's, right? Because you guys, uh, you guys yeah. won. Hopefully, you get that that uh, that repeat. But uh, it was very strange. I mean, the whole the whole vibe of there is very uncomfortable. But uh, generally speaking, it's gotten better over the years because I've been to some of the earlier versions of it, and uh, I think that they've improved it. But it's still a very awkward experience out there. Uh, so Chael hosted when I was there, and I thought he did a really great job. Actually, I'm gonna yeah. guess that they're gonna bring him back for another one of those. That would um, make sense. Because you're like Dolph Lundgren. It's like, what? <laughs> it was very weird. He was, I will say that he had a few moments that was pretty funny. But for the most part, man, the little uh, like skits they do, just so bizarre, man. They're so bizarre. But yeah, it's some of them hit, thing. most of them don't. But every once in a yeah, while they get But I will but anyway. say, that, but dude, I mean, you guys winning last year, that was like, I thought that was the greatest upset, you know, uh, that we've seen. Yeah. In, uh, take the, in, take in that, Juliana Pena. Yeah. Take that, Matt Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> that's my list exactly all right all right with that out of the way let's get to some real fights here uh and we kick things off with topic number one of course uh chuck correct me if i'm wrong i believe our colleague ariel hawani was the first to report this it's not officially signed but it appears all systems go for dustin poirier versus michael chandler now this is supposed to be as we understand it again we haven't had a full confirmation yet november 12th at yeah. MSG, which of course would indicate the UFC is going to be back there on that night, which was largely anticipated, but seems it gives us a date, something to look forward to. But okay, first things first, Chuck, when I tell you that Poirier is going to fight Michael Chandler, forget about MSG for just a moment, but now yes. it's on the books. Your first reaction is what? Barn burner. Because, and I hate, you know, it's weird. I hate putting that expectation on, but I really do think that's the expectation. If you just look at the Gaethje math, right? Like both guys had fights with Gaethje. One was a fight of the year. The other was a very memorable fight. And then you say, okay, they're willing to accommodate Gaethje, you know, in his style of fighting and, and go in there and put on a fight, uh, a fight like that. And now they're going to MSG. It has those title implications to it, which is kind of the the bonus to it. But I feel like realistically... The bad blood between two very nice guys going against each other on that big of a stage, being the first fight, by the way, that's announced or like uh, is materializing first, I guess, um, on a fight card that's guaranteed to have at least a title fight above it speaks volumes. But I just think that those two guys, man, they, 
you know, I think that they want to put on shows. And like that, when you put them together, and especially kind of in the buildup to this, this is one of the first times I can remember Dustin Poirier being truly, you know, disliking a guy, you know what I mean, going into it. So I just, I feel like it's going to be a really good fight. And I love that it is shaken out where it might have title implications. So um, I think it's a barn burn. It's going to be one of those great swing bouts that kind of the bang for your buck, right? Like you, if you're on the fence about buying a paper, you remember that's on it. You purchase the you purchase the pay per view. Yeah, I don't I don't imagine that this would headline, but I do imagine that it would serve as a, to your point, like an anchor fight on the main yeah. card, something that really gives you some uh, choices to make about your purchasing that month. Now, as it currently stands, Chuck, you got Poirier yeah. sitting at two, Chandler sitting at five. So here's the rest of the top five. There is no champion, right? We, I mean, you know. In reality, there is no champion. Right. So Oliveira is one, Poirier is two, Gaethje is three, Islam is four, Chandler is five. Gaethje just lost to mm-hmm. Oliveira. We are a mat. We we have on the books at two eighty, Oliveira versus Makachev. Yep. Is it fair to say it seems impossible to deny at this point for Dustin Poirier having gone up against Habib and falling short, and then against Charles and then falling short? I think that Poirier versus Chandler <laughs> is a number one contender's fight. Is it not? I think it is. I really do. And it, it helps that Charles Oliveira now is in doubt. Now, it'll be, especially if Islam is to win that fight and he wins the title, I think that you then have a situation where it's a new guy, um, it's a new challenge, it's new blood, all of that stuff. So I think that the winner would be, I think, a slam dunk, depending on how the fight plays out with Islam and, and Charles. But I do think that... Um, even if Oliveira is able to win, that if this is a good showing, right, like in the timing-wise and everything else, I think probably it is. Uh, I think it's just uh, it's set up to be that way. And like you just mentioned, where they're at, having to go through one guy has to go through the other to get to that. So I just I think it sets up perfectly to be the number one bout. Yeah. You know, this fight is incredible because, it, to your point, you called it, you know, your first thought was barn burner. I would completely agree. Number one, you've got stakes, as we just indicated. It seems like, I mean, no, again, I want to be clear, as Chuck and I are discussing this, UFC brass haven't confirmed that this is a fully thing, and and even if it is, that it's for number one contender. By the way, there could be a couple of things where, if God only knows what happens at UFC 280, is there a world yeah. where this one at 281, which is what I'm guessing it's going to be, is somehow for an interim title if something happens to the champion and he's injured. <laughs> That's a good got, point. There's yeah. all, dude, there's all kinds of ways that this could be uh, already big stakes, but potentially even bigger. But the action fight thing, two things stand out to me. It's like, number one, bro, for Dustin Poirier to still be an action-oriented fighter this long into his career with as many miles as he has is fucking remarkable. Like, even just like the <laughs> Alvarez fights and then the Gaethje fights, just those by themselves, not even including the Holloway fight, not even including mm-hmm. the Pettis fight, which was actually kind of blood and guts for a while as well, is truly remarkable. And I got to say this, man. Don't you agree? And if you don't, by all means, tell me. But I feel like you might. Michael Chandler made the move from Bellator to UFC, A, at I thought the right time, right? Like, if yep. he was going to do it, that was the time. Yep. And B, you know, yes, has he been up? Has he been down? No question. He has done both. But in terms of delivering what he said he was going to deliver, which was a shot into the arm, into the division, and to kind of always be that ever-present threat at the top where now he's in an ostensibly number one contender's fight, I don't know if he's going to win this fight, Chuck. But, of course, he might. But (laughs) my only point is, everything that he basically promised from going from Bellator to UFC, 
he has more or less delivered on and then some this fight hasn't even happened yet when you reflect on him making that switch do you agree with me that it's gone again not best case scenario but yeah you know promises made promises kept i will say that yes and you know he's exponentially gotten bigger i think that's that was the the key too i think that he was uh People who picked, you know, the Bellator brand has done a pretty good job of making these guys visible. But I feel like once he got to the UFC and you're seeing him against these brand names, it became a different thing for Michael Chandler. He's only two and two in the UFC, but somehow because of the style of fights he's bringing and the, you know, just what he's putting these guys through to get those W's um, as kind of translated into, it doesn't matter. Like it kind of transcends the win loss column. Obviously you can't stack too many losses, but the types of fights he's been putting on, man, he's as advertised I think the willingness to go in there, take on these guys, uh, ruffle some feathers. Actually, he's gotten very good on the mic too, man. You've you've probably talked to him over the years. I think that originally he seemed like a, almost a, like a goody two shoes in the game, like for the Bellator for a long time. He was doing the Dave and Buster commercials, and he was he seemed a little religious. It was just he was kind of like he just wasn't uh, the, the shit talker that he's kind of become. And I think that that's uh, he's always playing the game a little better too. But man, when you go out there and you make promises and you uphold those promises, once you're in there. People love you, man. It's it's kind of that, you know, it's that it's that thing with Israel Adesanya when there's a big talk, but sometimes the action doesn't deliver on what he's saying. That feels disappointing sometimes. But with a guy like Michael Chandler, I feel like every time he goes in there, man, he puts on one of those fights. So you hate to call it a guaranteed barn burner, but I feel like this is about as close as it gets, right? Like this is one of those types of fights. Right. I mean, you don't know how long it might last. That's always the issue. True. Right? True. But if for as long as it lasts, like... Hey, Chandler's not going to be the guy that jabs and low kicks his way to five round victory. It's just not, you know what I mean? Dude. It's just not who he is. Yes. And you know what's kind of crazy about this is it's a Madison Square Garden, you know, once it's finalized, all that stuff. But like Madison Square Garden has not, has been kind of a house of horrors for, for Michael Chandler. He lost to Brent Primus, remember back in the day, like 2016, uh, a major upset back then. And then he, he did have the fight of the year. You know, with Justin Gaethje, but he ends up losing that. So he's 0-2 in the, in the Mecca, man. So he's going to have to, uh, I, I kind of, I don't want him to go down as the guy who couldn't win at Madison Square Garden either. You know what I mean? So hopefully for his case, you know, or for his uh, peace of mind, he shows up and he gets it done. You know what I mean? Now, how does this, in, or maybe it doesn't. So, like, I guess the question would be, to what extent does a win here transform anything for them? Again, let's let's work under the premise for now. And this could be, very, you know, it's totally invented. But let's operate under the premise that the winner here does get a title shot. Now, here's the thing. We saw Chandler go up against Oliveira. He got very close, but no cigar. We've seen, mm -hmm. uh, we did see Poirier get the interim title against Max Holloway, but then yep. subsequently, you know, his efforts at unifying it or reclaiming it didn't go well. So it's not like we necessarily see them in like brand new territory exactly. But I'm wondering, getting back to that spot, I, well, I guess winning the championship would be the only thing different, right? If they were actually able to get there and then persevere for Chandler to go from Bellator, then two and two in the UFC, then three and two, because mm -hmm. he would have to be the win over uh, Poirier, and then to claim the title would be a true, incredibly in in insane feat. And then similarly for a guy like Dustin Poirier to finally break through in the way that he has, these would be transformative moments. But I guess what I'm wondering is, short of doing that, does getting back to that point, that's not, it's, 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 it's impressive, yes, yes, but it's not different, right? Right. I think history remembers getting over the, fully over the hump, right? Like, you got to be the champion, you got to do some things. Um, 
It is impressive. I, I look at, like you mentioned off the top of this, you look at uh, the Poirier's run, especially remember he kind of was introduced at such a young age. Uh, and then he had that documentary that added kind of this weird expectation to him. Like maybe he was going to be, um, you know, a champion sooner rather than later. Fightville. He had the whole, yes, Fightville, which was, it was very interesting. It's still, it's actually more fun to watch now, now like at a remove and go back and watch it than it was in the day. But, uh, you know, the whole Conor McGregor thing where he was kind of buried, just one of the victims of Conor McGregor during that whole boom period for McGregor. It's kind of remarkable, man. Like you mentioned, he's just gone through a sustained amount of, of battles and there are some of them wars. And he here he is still doing this. And honestly, after he lost that last fight with Charles Oliveira, he kind of indicated like he might not even want to keep going, you know, like he was really all the options are on the table. And I know some people speak emotionally about that, but when you have a career like his, which is, you know, you kind of move up, but you don't quite get over, you you know, you kind of move up, you don't quite get over, like, and, and you're always hovering in that space, you can see how it gets frustrating. So particularly from Dustin Poirier's point of view, I think this fight means a lot, you know what I mean? You got to get back there, and uh, I think it would mean a lot to him and his career, his legacy, whatever you want to call it, um, to not only just get this fight, which is a big one in Madison Square Garden, but then to put yourself back on that Raider and then go get the belt. I think that that would round out a truly remarkable career when you look at it. Now, my brain is full of Swiss cheese, Chuck, so I might be <laughs> saying something stupid here, and if I am, by all means, help me out. Has anyone gone from Bellator to UFC and claimed a weight class title? Now, obviously, we've seen the opposite. Fine, yes. But um, I'm trying no. to remember. I don't think no. we have. I don't think we've seen someone do that, not oh, just um, yet. Well, what about Eddie Alvarez? Oh yes, what am I saying? Yes, he's already so done he's the fuck. he's the one. Yes. yes, he's the one. I don't All really right, still, believe. Yeah, yes. I don't believe anybody else has though. I think he's the one. Right, he would be the only one. Yeah, sorry again. When you're hosting a show, your brain just doesn't work. I, I can barely listen. My headphones barely work. You know what I'm saying? Cut me a yeah. break here. Why do they pay me I, for this I job? I forgot that know. UFC 277 just happened a week ago, Luke. I don't know. I couldn't yeah, tell you much I, about I, that card at this point. Okay, nevertheless, Eddie, you know, underground king, had a lot of titles and a lot of other weight classes. Still, it would represent something significant for Chandler, on the other hand, to go and do that. Sure. I think Chandler has been kind of seen, like, promises made, promises kept in terms of what he told fans was possible. Because he never told them, I'm definitively going to be the, the, weight, the, the champion of the world, and there's no denying it. He's always said, I'm there for a good time, not a long time. Nevertheless, mm. for him to go in there and claim the UFC title, especially after losing to Charles in the way that he did, you know, the Gaethje fight was not for a title, but it was kind of thorough-ish in the way that he yeah. lost. Dude, that would be big for him as well. This guy, for, for folks who may not remember, for a long time. Like, do you remember when he was fighting Rick Hahn on Spike TV? Oh, yeah. Yes. Dude, Bellator wanted to make this guy the face of the organization for him. Yeah. Eddie Alvarez, Oh, I, I don't think he ever occupied that space for Bjorn Rebney. Not in the same kind of way. So for to take that guy, the former face of Bellator... And then for him to go to UFC at the very last good window he had and claim a title, dude, that would be fucking huge. It would be huge. And you nailed it. I think that he happily took that mantle as being the face of Bellator for the longest time, man. I mean, I think he was happy to do that. But there was the side of him that always was like, just like with any good Bellator fighter, there's always this, what if the partition was down? How would he fare against these other guys? Well, for him to get through the gauntlet that he's gone through and then end up so he gets through Poirier and he ends up getting a title 
That would be huge, man. I mean, I honestly would then his career becomes almost a, a study in itself, like going back and looking at everything that he's been able to do. Um, I do think that that would be very, very big, especially given that he fights the style he said, like like you like you mentioned, man. I mean, it's like if Justin Gaethje um, had ascended and now was on a title reign, you'd look at him the same way like that's not sustainable. It's not sustainable for living and it's not sustainable for um, holding a title, but to get it right, like to win it. That would speak volumes for how good he has given that style. Fair enough. All right, so let's move on now to topic number two, which is, of course, the weekend's fight night card. All right. I mean, let's just say this up front. I like the main event, Tiago Santos versus Jamal Hill. It's not my favorite, but I like it. I'm not going to sit here and say I hate it because that, that wouldn't be true. I like the, <laughs> I really like the co-main, Vicente Luque versus Jeff Neal. Danny and I talked about this on Wednesday. You have the finals of the Ultimate Fighter. I'm going to ask this knowing full well what the answer is. <laughs> Last time you watched an episode of Tough beginning to end. You can skip commercials or whatever. Oh, my God. Beginning to end. Okay, so I think we did touch on this, but I think I'm with you because I believe you said this. When they introduced, was it was a straw weight class, right? When they, yeah, when they season 20. Up. Yes, so that would be the last time, and I really only watched that one because it was a whole new crop. It was a whole weight class, right, like being introduced, so I felt like it was uh, my duty to really know who everybody was. But before that, man, you're probably going back to the heavyweight season with Kimbo Slice. Like, I remember watching that one with some interest, and that was like a full 10 seasons before that. So tough 10 it was probably like, if, if you're asking me legit, where you're just watching it to see what's going to happen, it was all the way back then. Have you paid attention to even five seconds of the current tough season? I'll raise my hand and be like, I've done nothing. <laughs> no, I have not, man. I have not. I can't. I just can't, man. You've been in this game a long time, too. It's like the times I've and over the seasons, every now and again, I'll, I'll put it on for a minute just to see what's happened. I can't do it. I just can't watch that same kind of drama playing out the house stuff. Um, the fights themselves I'm okay with, and I try to catch up on those a little bit um, as, as it goes on, but I just can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I'll tell you this much. I, um, I don't watch it. And the reality is, like, putting young men with alcohol in a house, young women too, whatever. They know, yeah. It, well, the thing is this. It's like, dude, I, you know, when I was living in a fraternity house or, you know, in near approximation to it, let's say two, three, four years after that, Yes, that seemed relatively interesting to me. Dude, I'm fucking old now. I've got kids. Like, <laughs> you think, that you is think true. young men drinking in a house is remotely fucking interesting? All I want to do is go to bed early and not wake up with my back hurting. Like, what the fuck? It's of zero <laughs> relevance to my life, you know? No, you're right. There's something about that drama that no longer holds its, uh, its essence, right? Like, I don't care to see that either, man, at this point. All right, well, the Muhammad Usman versus Zach, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing mm -hmm. his name, I apologize. Zach Palga would be for the uh, heavyweight championship winner, which, of course, Muhammad Usman, the brother of uh, Kamaru. And then you have Brogan Walker taking on Juliana Miller. That one's pretty close in odds, by the way. But let's start with the main event. Tiago Santos taking on Jamal Hill. Jamal Hill is an interesting guy, Chuck, for a lot of reasons. I really like his game, and I was watching some tape on him last night and uh, this morning just to sort of see what his strengths and weaknesses are, remind myself, right? And I watched a lot of his fights. Dude, I mean, when he's... I'll say this. When he's dealing, he is phenomenal. Yeah. On the feet, he has... And you saw this in the Crute fight to an extent and the Walker fight, really. He's got a really good ability to play with range in ways that a lot of other light heavyweights don't. And what I mean by that is he'll pressure, 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 and then stop, and then let opponents walk to him. 
and then he drills him as they just walk right into range. He did it to Walker. He did it to Crute. Now, the Paul Craig fight was a little bit different. I want to talk about that in just a second. But, man, people keep talking about his championship potential. I do yeah. have some reservations about it in the broader picture, which I'll get to. But his strengths, the boxing, the range management, do I think that kind of thing is potentially ready for the very high end of this division? I actually do. I actually think that yeah. part is very good. Give me your assessment of his upside as best you can tell right now. I think that the, this type of fight, when you get when you get a, a matchup against um, Tiago, uh, what's his name, the sledgehammer. When you get You're yeah right. Santos, I was about to say Silva. I'm like that is not correct. Uh, when you get this <laughs> kind of matchup, um, it, it usually it's because there it's I don't want to call it quite a showcase fight, but it usually means that there's a guy like him that they want to see get through this guy on a big platform, a big spotlight, and then so that you can enter that conversation a little more cleanly. I do think that he has shown those flashes. I know that you're, you're the more the analytical guy, like you break down the styles and stuff, but I, I just like the fact that he does what you said, which is let the fight come to him sometimes and then start dealing. He's one of those guys I feel like needs to kind of activate within a fight. Like you, you watch him and like he starts to get the rhythm down and you see him when it starts to click and he starts to roll and uh, and things start to land. So he's got a very a very explosive style, a nice style, um, and I think he's got the personality, right? Like to to kind of uh, make people care about him, and that matters in the fight game too. So I see a lot of upside, man. I see a lot of upside. I don't know if he has uh you know like what it takes to go all the way in the division, but uh, he's and we've seen him we've seen him uh, slip you know before too. But I. I do feel like he's figuring things out. He's learning. He's adding more tools. And uh, his upside looks pretty good to me, man. This would be a big step, too. I think, like, kind of getting on people's radars who haven't seen him yet to be in this situation against a guy, a heavy hitter who has, uh, you know, I think he's tied for fourth with the most knockouts in UFC history of the 11. Um, you know, to go in and do it against a guy like that, I think it'll speak volumes for his upside, too. I will say this, though, about Tiago Santos. We'll, I want to finish on this point with Jamal Hill, but Santos is in a different place in his career. This comes to us from Richard yeah. Mann, who works at Fightmetric, and he writes, quote, through his first 18 UFC fights, Santos had a plus 2.85 striking differential. So for folks who don't know what that means, that means you take strikes landed per minute and then deduct strikes absorbed, and even then, he's at 2.85, which is very high. So yeah. that rate, that rate, the two, the plus uh, 2.85, would rank 12th among currently ranked UFC fighters independent of weight class. However, in his last five fights, he only has a negative 0.31 differential, which would put him 150th out of the 175 ranked fighters. Not great. Um, yeah. But okay, sticking with Jamal Hill, talk me off the ledge here a little bit. Dude, when it comes <laughs> to the striking... I don't know how many guys on that division have a whole lot for him. I mean, Ankalaev is obviously a beast. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, Blahovich has seen a lot of different looks. I'm sure he could be an interesting counter, particularly with the kickboxing. But you go back to the Paul Craig fight. Now, listen, Paul Craig is a unicorn doing all kinds of totally insane shit that a lot of other people don't do. But there was a situation where uh, an, uh, a, a, if you watch the fight, Craig uses double overhooks, pulls him to the ground, and then tries to go for a submission. Hill gets out of it and then lets Paul Craig recapture the overhook on the right side. And the reason why that's relevant, it's like, try to explain this to people, and anyone who's ever trained understands this. You cannot overstate the significance 
of allowing an opponent to put a grip on you, any kind of grip, not just the hand grip, or if you have the gi, the gi grip with the lapel or the sleeve, but that overhook is a grip. Dude, I mean, if someone makes a grip on you and you know that, that that's going to let them set up different things, you have to either, A, prevent the grip from even happening, but you have to address the grip right away. He went right back into the gripping sequence. And for me, that kind of indicated, like, I got a little bit of Cyril Ghosn vibes. Remember when Cyril Ghosn fought Francis? Like, on the feet, Cyril Ghosn mm. is miles ahead of that division, right? On the feet, he's just way ahead. Yes. But on the ground, his decision-making isn't nearly as good because he doesn't have that part of his game isn't as developed. Now, I'm not saying, Chuck, that <laughs> Jamal Hill has a bad ground game. We just don't know enough about it. But, for True. example, you take the Craig fight, that's one thing you can look at. Here's another one. Takedown accuracy for Jamal Hill is at 0%. Now, that's not saying he's never... I, I, they might be saying he's never uh, gotten a takedown. But what I think that actually says is he's probably never really tried Trying to go back here to the Ovin St. Prue fight. Yeah, he didn't even try. Mm. You go back to the Klitz and Abreu fight. Let's see. Didn't even try. So for the <laughs> most part, he just doesn't show you that other part of the game. And I always say this. A fighter can have an A and a B game. And if your A game is so completely dominant, your B game can just be defensive. Think of Habib, for example. Yes. But yes. unless you're that, your B game needs to be developed. <laughs> I do have some... And by the way, Santos, Black Belt Jiu-Jitsu... I don't know. This one could get a little weird for me. That's an interesting thing, man. And this is why I like talking to you, because uh, you do think of these uh, these things on that level. I do feel like that's the thing about him is there are some questions uh, as to what his plan B would be, because we've seen it with like Kevin Holland type, right? Like you're not sure what happens when he's put into deep water in a way that he's not used to being put in. And uh, you see him get dominated. Now, I don't really know, to be honest, how that would play out or even if I if if. If Santos is smart, maybe he does uh, play this type of game. You know what I mean? Maybe you do try to get it to the mat and see what you can do there. Um, but honestly, man, it's I don't want to say it's a red flag, but it's one of those concerns. I think that you we just haven't seen him in those situations enough. And maybe that's where the intrigue starts to come in. You mentioned like an Uncle, Uncle Iov or one of those types of fighters. I mean, they're very smart fighters and they, they're well-rounded everywhere. That would be a concern right now. You know, if they were to fight right now, I'd be like, how does that translate? So I think it it, uh, it plays into the same thing with Santos, but I'm just not sure Santos is going to, I'm not sure he's going to actually want to test that. I mean, do you feel like he will? No, I don't. I feel like <laughs> Santos has not been the same. I mean, no. we always go back to it with these debates about what you're supposed to do in terms of tolerating injury in a fight. And, you know, to blow out both of his knees in the way that he did, um, you know, there's an argument to make, right? Where like, this is a title picture. You may never get back here again. Um, just let it rock, like go through with it. You know, cause I don't know if he tore both right away. I think it was a cumulative over time, but mm -hmm. the point is like, you just let it go. But like, dude, I, you know, everyone does this shit in MMA and it drives me up the fucking wall where it's like, okay, you got to just make that sacrifice. It's like, okay, <laughs> let's make that sacrifice. Fellas, ladies. If you are going to say something like, let's make a sacrifice for this short-term moment, and there could be a good reason for that, by the way. Very, there very much could be, this one or any other. You must also, like if I could make them sign a waiver in the argument, the argument would, the, would also include, I recognize up front that the sacrifice is worth it, knowing full well this will carry long-term consequence. This will carry long-term significance for both his potential quality of life and certainly his ability to compete at a reasonable level 
past this event. And there is always the discussion up front of how it's worth it without any of the discussion on the back end about what the fuck this is going to do to you. Dude, he is not the same fighter. He is not. No. Let's just say it out loud. He is not even close to the same no. fighter that he once was. And you can draw a fucking clear line in the sand because he had ups and downs before the the, the Jones fight, obviously. Sure. But in terms of the style he fights, yeah, the Glover fight was kind of close. He kind of recaptured a little bit of magic. And by the way, saying he's not the same fighter is not me saying he can't win, but mm -hmm. it changed him. It completely changed him. And so all the folks who are like, it's worth it. Let the, let, don't, let, don't let the doctors get involved, blah, 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 blah. Great. Welcome to the bill being due. How do you intend to pay? That's what I always try to tell people. I'm sure those same people will be uh, you know, checking in on, on him five years down the line to make sure he's right. doing okay and when he, when he has vital. arthritis at 50, I'm sure they'll be know, right man. there. I know. No, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. That's uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of um, very short sighted ideas that just persist in MMA. But yes, that is definitely something that's bugged me over the years too, man. Um, and you know, in his in his case, gosh, it, it, you can point to some hard luck cases uh, over over the course of the fight game. But man, that guy was so close to beating John Jones. You know what I mean? At least it seemed to me at the time, like it was so close. To, he was so close to, um, you know, realizing something in this game. And now he's on the other end of that. And I don't want to say I'm watching through my fingers with him, but I agree with you that it's it's one of those situations where you're like, if he flashes any vintage form, it's probably going to come out of his hands, right? Like it's going to come, It's he's going to maybe get a knockout. But realistically, I, he's falling more and more into the puncher's chance than he is of a guy that you're like, well, he's he's a hard, you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like he's, Slipped into that spot now, but he's still got some juice on his name. Still got some juice on his name. Still has big power. I do believe that. I do believe that, um, you know, he's fought guys like Jamal Hill to an extent. Certainly from an experiential standpoint. Like, how many fights does he have? I think he has like 10 or 12 fights, something like that. Not that many. So, in that sense, it's nothing really yeah. new. But it just, I can't stand these fucking conversations that everyone <laughs> has all the time. And they never, ever want to acknowledge what the cost of that shit is after the fact. And here we are living through it. And, and, then, and then they dump on the guy, right? They'll be like, oh, now he's boring. Yeah, motherfucker, he had both of his knees shredded. <laughs> <laughs> like, trying to fight maybe the best fighter we've ever seen that everyone cheered on. Like, yay, That's go to Can you imagine his Instagram dude. comments at night? Like, you're a fucking warrior. And now, if, I guarantee if he turns in a, a, a bad fight, what a fucking bum, fuck this guy, da 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 It's like, holy shit, man. They're both there. It's the it's the other side of the coin. It's the same thing. Drives don't me you get it? Don't you get exhausted trying to like fill in the context for people who <laughs> do this? I feel like I'm in a constant. I, when I used to do the mailbags at ESPN and and later on and stuff like you'd always be answering questions like this, like you're talking about, or like just an attitude about something where like, well, you're not considering the the whole situation here, especially when you're dealing with like major injuries or stuff like that, where um, a guy has had to come through it. To just push all that aside is ridiculous, but I hate having to go through and do what you just did, which is like add the context for somebody just to bring them around to the idea that they should, you know, be perceiving this whole situation a little differently. Gosh, I get that. That just goes on and on. At some point, you would think there would be a larger sense of, I don't know if empathy is the right word, but just like memory, you know, of, of what these guys have been through. But Luke, you've been in this game as long as I have, and I have not seen that develop, man. I mean, <laughs> I'm still explaining everything just like you are. Yeah, and then, well, sometimes the debate changes by virtue of the fact that it has to, like the fighter pay debate has changed because yeah. we now have court documents and, you know, there's 
it has moved and so as a consequence so has the conversation but like i've noticed dude and this is why i do the five-year thing i think mma fandom for the most part and then you know you and i might be different or whatever but <laughs> and there's other there are other different people of course but what i mean to say is it lasts about five years about five years yeah people get red hot with it then they kind of begin to fade and then the same questions you were answering in the first five years they come circling <sighs> back all the time because dude it's new fans who don't have any prior relationship to the sport trying to figure it out. And so I get it, you know, um, but it, it, it tells you that like, this was the thing that we never talked about. I'm kind of on a tangent here, but this is the thing we never talked about. Like there was a real concerning time at the beginning of the UFC's deal with Fox where, you know, the ratings were not great. They were okay, mm -hmm. but they were, and some of them were good. Like the first event they had on Fox was like a big hit. I remember I was in, um, on vacation at the time overseas and, um, but, you know, over time, like in 2014, the UFC had gone to Brazil like seven times. And one of those places was a place called Uberlandia. That's not that's a joke. Right. I was like, that's a real fucking place. But yes, it's a real place. <laughs> and so there was this question about like, is there watering the product down? And what I ended up thinking was like, I was worried that like, are they just running the sport into the ground? What I got right was that the ratings were declining and there was this lack of enthusiasm and fans were leaving. What I didn't count on and didn't see coming was that there would be this natural life cycle of a new crop that went right. right in behind them. And then Rousey and McGregor ushered it in and everything else. But like there is a real life cycle, whether it's five years, Chuck, you tell me, but it does feel like there's this constant churn. And so we constantly have to revisit these issues. I think that that's exactly right because I really started covering the sport maybe in 2007, 2008 for sure is when I was really uh, involved in the sport. Now that, and under the five year thing, you would see three iterations of fans or three, you know, um, three cycles there. And I would say that that's absolutely true. When I first started coming to sport, and you probably remember this too, um, everybody's big peeve was that if you came in during the tough one finale, right? Like mm -hmm. anybody who was old school before that was like, you, you're noob, man, you're a noob. Like you, you know, and, uh, the enthusiasm just kind of shifted as, as that happened. And then there was, there's been multiple, like you mentioned the, the McGregor and, uh, Rousey period. I felt like that introduced a whole, I mean, that was the biggest, moment in MMA is when, when those when those two things are going everything was off the hook. there's a ton of money being thrown around in MMA uh coverage and everything else like just everything was just big and now you're into a new one and it's I think that I'm I'm the one who's slow to to pick up uh how it's working but you do have guys like O'Malley and the YouTube generation you know and guys like Jake Paul right who brings attention to it a whole new audience there's a very there's a there's a younger audience that's getting involved in it again. It is replenishing as we speak, and so I do feel like, um, you know, what what our central focuses were five ten years ago, whatever it was. Be, if they're coming around again, you have to kind of go through it again. Like you have to actually add that context for those fans. It's a it's a crazy sport. I do think though, man, like running all these events all the time, it just it can't be more than five years. Even, I'm sure you've had burnout at some point, man. Like, at some point, you're just like, I can't, dude, I just need a break from this. Like, this is just going on and on and on. Yeah. Um, it's it's tough to follow, like, for 15 years straight. Like, just wall to wall. It is very tough to do. Yeah, I mean, you know, folks are like, what does it take to be one of these MMA journalists? And, like, you know, you had Israel Adesanya being like, I could do your job. And in certain ways, he actually is correct. But it's like, well, I yeah. can tell you what I've lost. I've lost a lot of friends. I've lost 15 <laughs> yes. years of Saturday nights. I've lost girlfriends. I've lost, you know, uh, a life outside of it, basically. Like, you know, you guys want to do this yeah. for your life. That's the cost. That's the what's grind, going baby. to come with it. Like, you can do the act of journalism. You could be on camera. But the life that comes with it, 
be very careful what you wish for. Um, I'll put it that way. Okay, back to the card as we sit here reminisce about what two old pieces of shit we are. (laughs) It's a natural conversation. It's a natural conversation. In the (laughs) co-main, now this one is uh, all action. Vicente Luque taking on Jeff Neal. We talked a little bit about this again on, so let's see, sat, excuse me, Wednesday with Danny. What am I saying? Saturday. Vicente Luque, guy, this guy who's been up there, up there, up there. Now he's getting a little bit, you know, um, yeah. He might be coming into his prime in the in the sense of his age. He's thirty, but he's got a lot of fights. He's got thirty-one fights or so, thirty fights or so. Mm-hmm. He's coming off the loss to Bala Muhammad. But but here's the question for you, Chuck. Before that. Win over Nico Price, win over Randy Brown, win over Tyron Woodley, win over Michael Chiesa, who he submitted, by the way. And then he loses to Bilal. But the Bilal fight, while thorough in the sense of, you know, it was arithmetic by the time the fight was over and he was controlled, he didn't get super beat up. He's just 30 years old. I'm going to ask you the same question about Luque, although this the odds, I should note, they're very tight on this one. For the main event, they mm-hmm. were not. Still, with Luque, I feel like he's tasted the higher end of this division in ways that Neil has not to this point. Your thoughts on his upside at age 30? Difficult to say for sure, but I agree with you 100% on the resume, the strength of resume. I think that for Jeff Neal, this is the toughest fight he's had. This would be the toughest fight for Jeff Neal. Whereas with Luke, you could say like he has had tougher fights, I think. You know, he's fought Leon back in the day. Um, he's, he's, he's had to stand in there against some very good fighters. But his upside, it's almost... It's kind of it's it's funny because he's he's I think he's so well rounded like and he's such a uh, he's such a finisher in in his mind you know like I think thirteen of his uh, eighteen fights in the UFC thirteen of them have been finishes victories that he's won I mean it's just kind of absurd that and he's able to do it you know on the feet on the mat I it feels to me like he's got tremendous upside but then he does slip so it's it's one of those uh, it's one of those situations where I'm not sure he's you hate to say it, but I'm like, I'm not sure. I can't envision him being a champion in the division for any sustained amount of time or even maybe ever getting it. But he'll always be that guy in the top five for, or like around the top five for as long as he's uh, as long as he's going and hold that space. He's not a gatekeeper. He's a he's a he's just a he's a machine. But I just I don't know, man. I I just don't see it like I don't feel like he's as rounded as some of the other guys or like there like maybe some of his weaknesses could be exploited, you know, by really smart fighters, things like that. I just I'm not sure he'll be a a champion at any point in his career. Yeah, I mean, he certainly is very talented, right? And he gives good fighters tough fights like that fight for what you call it, the fight for, um, uh, as I just mentioned, against Bilal Muhammad, like that was hard fought. It was not easy at all. And it went the full distance, I believe. You know, so these are things that are difficult for him. But you're wondering, I think this is where I'm at. It's like, okay, what's he's got one or two more corners he has to round before you're like, okay, he's a threat to Usman, right? He's a threat yeah. to Colby. Because if Bilal can control him, you would imagine yeah. that those two guys could, right, just as well. Mm-hmm. On the feet, though, I'll say, you know, he, you would agree on the feet, there's not a whole lot of guys at 170 at this stage that I think could give him a problem. Here are the rankings. Let me pull them up here. Uh, at 170, so let's go to the top 10. So you have Shavkat Rachmanov. I guess we'll see. I mean, that dude appears to be a fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Right behind, right, but right in front of him is Sean Brady, another fucking nightmare. Mm-hmm. But then you have Masvidal, Thompson. Thompson's on his last legs here kind of as a, as a guy. Luke sitting at 6, Bilal at 5, Burns at 4. Now, Burns obviously is going to be a tough fight. Then you got Hamzat Leon. Yeah, you know what? I'm not sure. There's a Seems to me like there's a couple more 
couple more uh, corners he really has to round before you can say, yes, obviously a good guy, obviously a top 10 guy, maybe even a top five guy, but yeah. not a championship guy just yet. Especially when you go through that list, God, man. That is just a murderer's row. And the way that those guys can beat you, like you mentioned, just controlling a fight, like the way that they dominate fights, it's just tough to see Luke getting past some of those. I, I think he'd be the underdog in more than half of those that you just named. You know, so um, it's an uphill battle for him, but you never know, man. I mean, it's just one of those things. But he is 30 years old. I think that this would be the moment for him. If he's going to make that run, I think that it's got to be like now. And uh, and we'll see how he does. But um, like Hamzat and you're mentioning Brady and all these guys. I mean, it's just that's that's too much for him. I, I just don't think he's better than those guys, to be honest. I will say, though, being 30 and having this kind of experience the next couple of years are going to be interesting. Still, yeah. it takes us to his opponent, which is Jeff Neal. Now, Jeff Neal was a guy I think had some hands of steel. Jeff Neal, remember he got a lot of uh, pop because he was a waiter. Remember that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, I remember uh, talking to him about it, yeah. Yeah, and I, dude, I remember I have a I have family in Dallas, and they were telling me that the restaurant he was waiting at, waiting tables at, was actually a fun place for brunch, so I'm told. Um, yeah. In any, in any event, though, um, he's a lot older. He's 11 years older basically, than Vicente Luque. So he's, uh, what am I saying? What am I saying? No, he's one year younger or older. Sorry, what am I saying? My, my, yeah. Dude, I need new prescription glasses. Could I be worse? <laughs> so he's I was going to say, if he's 11 years, I'm missing I'm missing part of the story. I was like, what? No, 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 no. It's, uh, he's about, <laughs> it's about one year or so. So he's okay. about 31 or 32 at most. Yeah. But okay, but he's kind of been up and down. So he had the nice wins over Nico Price and then Mike Perry, which, by the way, these guys share a lot of opponents in that way. He had yes. the loss to Wonderboy, which was basically one-sided. He had the loss to Magni as well. He rebounded against Ponzinibbio, but then I asked Danny this, and he was like, yeah, but this Ponzinibbio is not the guy from a few years ago. Right. It's a different version. How, how much is re – what's a reasonable expectation for Jeff Neal? I feel like he's already kind of busted the expectations. Like, He's already kind of ascended to levels where you're like, well, you've already done it, man. Like, you've gone where you need to go. Like, you mentioned he was a waiter. I remember talking to him. He's like, I wouldn't even quit the job because it's guaranteed money. Why would I quit it? I'm just going to do this on the side. And being like, what? You know, because he was moving up fairly fast. This was after he knocked out Camacho out in Dallas uh, with that head kick. Remember that? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I'm and you know, since then, I feel like he's just had a pretty remarkable run. The only thing I'll say is maybe... He needs to rediscover, like maybe he's gotten to the point where he's not taking the chances that he used to, because I think his excitement and his upside was based on him taking those chances. Like he had a bunch of finishes early in that run. Um, the last few have not been like that. They've been more calculated, methodical, um, and he's starting to lose a couple of these. You'd like to see him kind of rediscover that dog a little bit, that, that weird, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's not, obviously he cares about his career now in a way that he didn't before, um, but maybe he needs to throw caution a little more to the wind. I actually think that that's why this is a fun matchup for him because he's got an accommodating partner who's going to say, like, hey, I'll bring that right out of you. Let's do this. Um, so it's really interesting to see how he fights this. How does he handle this type of fight? Um, does he do that? You know, Does he let it go a little more? I feel like you tell me, man, maybe you've watched his fights a little closer. It feels like he's been a little more holstered his last few fights out, like he's not the same guy who was uh, shooting up the ranks at the uh, when he was coming up there. Yeah, and remember in December of 2021, he had the DWI arrest. 
you know? Oh, that's right, yeah. Which, yeah. which is not like the end of the world. Like, I know a lot of people have gotten in and turned their lives around. I mean, I'm not here to say drunk driving is no big deal, but I'm just here to say that um, <laughs> I know people who have made mistakes like that, but then really cleaned everything up and, and got around it. And you can't judge a person in totality by one mistake like that, even as potentially sure. egregious as it could be. I think that's the way I would say it. I want to yep. be a little more delicate. Nevertheless, kind of made you wonder. It's like you had the losses, and then that happened, and you're like, hmm. Or where are we coming or going on any of this? I, I tend to think that, like, look, he's with a good team. He's with Safe Side, I believe, out of uh, mm -hmm. Fortis MMA. He can, he has big power. But he, with Luke, and I would say he's much further behind Luke in terms of overall game development. They're just, they're, he got, he has a good skill set to get him where he's at. But to get where he wants to go, there needs to be more added. I mean, it's just really as yeah. simple as that. He has to add way more than what he's got. And so it's not just the significance of beating Luke or not. It's the significance of what other things are you doing to develop the game in the middle of your prime where it's still kind of possible to put yourself ahead in this pack where now you're seeing it at lightweight and now you're seeing it at welterweight, this next generation bubbling up. We talked about... The Saryukians and the Gamrots. Here come the Bradys, oh, the man. Rachmanovs, Chemayev's already here in many ways. There's just a lot going on there. So that's kind of where I'm at. It's like, which one of these guys is actually going to be able to level up past this win on Saturday? In that sense, Luke is a little bit further ahead in the race, although it is close, I will say. Yeah, I agree with you, man. Uh, fight, and I think that... Yeah, and I think that with, uh, with Neil... I mean, I, I don't know like how long he's been now full-time, like into MMA, but I agree with you. I, I feel like you kind of see, you hate to say this because you're right. He's 31 years old, but I feel like we've already seen his ceiling and it's probably wrong to believe that because I know that he could still add a lot more to it, but it just feels that way. Um, it just feels like you've seen him at his highest already. And maybe that's the narrative he needs to combat and, and, uh, and overthrow. You know what I mean? Like, cause I feel like a lot of people sort of feel like that about him right now. Fair enough. Um, on the rest of this card, there's Terrence McKinney, who is an enormous favorite over Eric Gonzalez. Terrence McKinney, I don't think he's ever been to anything other than a finish one way or the other. So he is an all-action affair uh, yeah. at minus 850. Jesus, that is high. But we got to talk <laughs> about it really? very quickly. Jesus. Yeah, minus 850. That's fucking high. Wow. Uh, Sam Alvey's still on this card, bro. Sam Alvey's out here doing it. But he could tie the record, or I think even set the record. Um, with another loss here with BJ Penn in terms of consecutive losses. I think this would be like Dude, nine, potentially. Explain that one to me. What is it, a modest uh, eight-fight unwinning streak? Like he, I, I think he's lost <laughs> seven of those, right? Like, how in the hell is he? I don't I don't really understand the Sam Alvey thing. I love him. He's a very nice guy um, and all that stuff. But, like, th does he have dirt on the UFC or something? What's going on with that? Yeah, dude, his last solid win was 2018. Like, <laughs> Good God, you know, man. Yeah. I mean... Uh, I, I I I was in a very different part of my career in 2018. I know, like, you know, uh, lifetime. Jesus, ago. I don't even know what the answer is there. To be quite honest yeah. with you, I, I listen. It's not like and you, you know, it sounds like you're wishing bad on him. And and no, and also like there's not a finite amount of roster spots. You know, like they could assign more people if they want to assign more people. It's not even that, but it's just pretty clear that like. There's no upside here. You could get a win potentially, but like, <laughs> where is this train going? It's not. It's not going anywhere. Not in this organization. And so that's kind of the part. A part that's kind of got me. Um, and of course, Ariana Lipsky opens the card against Priscilla Catchwara, a women's flyweight contest. 
Lipsky entering this contest off of a win, although she had two losses previously to that. And then her opponent in this case, Priscilla Cachuera, something of a redeveloped fighter since losing to Shevchenko in the way that she did Ooh. a little bit. Uh, she comes in and win over Ji Yong Kim. Anything on this card stand out to you besides the the fights I've mentioned? Um, I like the McKinney fight because uh, be, because I think that after he, he got his first loss, right? Like the first loss in the UFC. I just you you always want to see um, how they respond. And I just you know he's such a dynamic guy, and he's uh, he kind of when I, when I was looking at this card, you're right. It doesn't. There's not a lot of imagination to it. There's not a lot of things that are going to pique your interest, but. For sure, I still got my eyes on him. So I'd say that on the prelims, that's the that's the one fight I've got circled. All right, fair enough. Uh, let's move on to PFL. Don't have a whole lot to say about it. It is tonight, um, the PFL 7. It's an interesting time for the PFL. So let me pull up my notes here for this particular event if I can. Now, this is the weird one. You've got Anthony Pettis taking on Stevie Ray in your main event. They just fought a few weeks ago. Chuck, where Pettis loses via like a sort of rib crank, I guess is mm. the best way to describe it. But this is the semifinals of the lightweight tourney. So it's not like that doesn't count. It counts, but they both were still able to move on based on how points and everything else are established. Well, <laughs> I got to tell you, Pettis, I admire his willingness to get out here and continue to fight. My man's taking a lot of damage. Yes, a he is. A lot right? of damage. A lot of damage. I think yeah. this is a winnable fight. I do. But I wonder if he loses this, Chuck, where does Pettis go from here? Oh, I don't know, but it's not a good place, man, because he would then be one and four, I believe, in the PFL since coming over. And, uh, you know, to lose back to back fights against a guy he would have, I think we can agree, would have destroyed at earlier parts of his career. I don't know. And, you know, they're they're paying him, right? Like the PFL's paying him a lot of money. And I think there's some pressure that comes with that, obviously, to perform. Um, I just, I don't know, man. I, I, it's one of those, those strange situations where, um, you know, he's chasing this new kind of goal, but if he can't achieve it against guys, I think he should beat, to be honest. I mean, he, even at this stage, I'm like, he, he, I think he should still beat, um, you know, a Stevie Ray. And I honestly, he probably should win in the, in the finals if he makes it like this is set up for him to win. So, but if he's not able to get there, if he's just not able to do it, the writing would be on the wall. I feel like for some people it already probably is. Um, but it's it's a weird one. I think the red flag for me a little bit too is you know you you've been in this a long time too, like where accountability when you lose and just kind of what you say afterwards or what you start to believe. A lot of times I don't really like what Anthony Pettis says after a loss. Like he was basically saying on this last one that he didn't really it was hard getting up for the fight because he knew it didn't really mean as much. And uh, you know, it, it like like he kind of already resolved before the fight that it didn't matter. But I'm like, it always matters when, you know, you're in a situation where you're being brought in as a showcase talent, like a guy with a big name and all that stuff. It always matters. So I, I don't know. It's it's not even just his uh, his record that concerns you. It's just maybe the way he's viewing the game. And, uh, you know, it's just his basic, like, hunger for the game still at this point. Some of that's in question, too. So I'm not sure, man. If he loses this one, I feel like, that's it's time for a little bit of introspection from him, I'm sure. No doubt about it. And again, the odds are raised. I mean, it's a, it's a pick 'em. It's a pick 'em. Minus yeah. one ten in either direction. You saw the first Crazy. win, the first fight anyway that Stevie Ray had over him, where he did that little rib crank, which was mm -hmm. nasty but pretty fucking cool at the same time. <laughs> um, I don't. I, I I listen. Pettis are you know. 
you want guys to ha- it's, it's weird you almost want guys to have a foot out the door like when they start doing commentary gigs or now he's got his own little promotion and whatever the yeah. fuck else he's doing you know you you like seeing that because it's like okay you're beginning to set the groundwork for something else you know what would be great for Pettis is if he wins the whole thing gets the big check at the you know the end with a whatever and then can say he made all this money and then he can go about his day that would be nice. And if he loses, it's hardly the end of the world. I mean, he's out here pushing his best. But I just, I, I, I genuinely worry. Stevie Ray has been, is long in the tooth, but not. I don't think he's taken nearly as much damage as Pettis, although maybe he has. Who's to say? But the thing I worry about with Pettis is he goes through with all of this, really continues to take more injuries, and, you know, doesn't have a whole lot to show for a post-UFC career in the end, which, again, I'm not here to slam him for. I just... I don't know, man. When these guys get to a point yeah. where they're getting injured, they, they have as much damage as he has absorbed over the course of his career, and they're still out there trying to beat guys who are, I think, Stevie Ray, I'm not going to say his career is unfulfilled. I don't I don't know that. But he's not achieved what Pettis has, right? So it means yeah. probably by definition significantly more to him. I just don't ever really like those yeah. scenarios. That That's yeah. the thing that gives me a little bit of... Ugh. Well, and you wouldn't be a human being covering the sport if you didn't have some of this, because we have watched Anthony Pettis forever, man. I mean, the guy has been around doing this for a long time. Um, we've seen him at the top of the game. Like, he, I, I, I was watching him recently. I think maybe it was on Ariel's show, but he was. they were talking about how, you know, he was getting those million-dollar, like, bonuses in his mail and stuff like that. He was on the Wheaties box. I feel like, actually, that's where it started to go south for him a little bit. Is the moment he appears on like the biggest moment became like the highest moment he reached, and then he started to to uh, decline um, because he lost the title after that. And he's been he's been hit or miss, but he's been a lot of misses. And I you do see him taking a just an extraordinary amount of talent. I mean, uh, damage. And you, I know in the Rufus gym back in the day, at least you know those guys were sparring hard too, man. So you just it's 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 just been a long, long career. And I know he's made a lot of money. I don't know if he's invested it well and all that stuff, but. He's one of those guys you're like, you've made you've made some good money in this sport. Um, you would like to see him, if it comes down to that, not continue to take that damage. It's just tough, man. We're human beings who watch these guys. You write about them. You talk to them. And over the course of time, man, it's just uh, you don't want to see a guy just get repeatedly beat like that. And and there are very few graceful outs in the sport. We talk about this all the time. But you just don't want to see him go through too much of that. Yeah. Now, again, the fight is competitive. It, basically, the odds makers yeah. think it's 50-50. So he could certainly get the win move on to the playoffs, and uh, obviously if he does, in that particular circumstance, I'm getting my notes right here, he would then take on the winner, it seems, of Olivier yep. Aubin Marcier versus Alex Martinez. This is an interesting one to me. Olivier Aubin Marcier had a decent run in the UFC, um, but then, then basically got ousted on three consecutive losses to Hernandez, Gilbert Burns, and then Armin Saryukian, but you're like, well, that was Hernandez yeah. at his very best. That was when Hernandez had like that two-fight win streak where he beat Dariush yes. and then this guy. And then he lost to Burns and Saryukian. Since then, he has not lost a fucking thing. He beat Marcin Held, Daryl Horcher, Natan Schultz, and then the guy who was the winner last season who has dumb power, Hausman Fio. Mm-hmm. He has had a really nice little run here in the PFL. Something very good is very possible for him. Do you not agree? No, I agree 100%. I mean, honestly, I think it's his tournament. You know, it should be his tournament. If he if he uh, keeps going the way he's going, um, I would favor him probably to win this. And, you know, it's funny. Like, I, I hadn't really thought of that. But, like, those three fights consecutive at the end of the UFC, no shame in losing to Gilbert Burns and, uh, and Sarukian, right? Like, you lose to guys like that. I mean, 
these are these are guys who are way up there in the rankings and all that stuff. So um, very tough fighters. I do I do like the way he, I feel like it's uh, this setup is really good for him because I'm not sure he could ever make a million dollars in the UFC, man. But he could do that here. So uh, right. yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. Uh, uh, indeed. Now on the other side of the equation for this main card, you have uh, it's a light heavyweight. So the main card is basically the lightweight semis right. and then the light heavyweight semis. The one that is most interesting to me, there's one between Rob Wilkinson and Delon uh, Monte. That we'll talk about that in just a second. But the one that I find much more interesting is the bout between Josh Sil Sil Silvera and Omari Akhmedov. Omari Akhmedov kind of got bounced from UFC. Good fighter, not great. Then he's taking on Josh Silvera. For folks who don't know who this is, this is the son of Conan Silvera. Conan, yeah. you might see, is the humongous guy that's always in the corner of Amanda Nunes. He's been like a staple at ATT forever. This is his son, who is undefeated, and it should be noted, Chuck, moved to this position with a win over a guy that everyone in the PFL who I talked to or who was there secretly was telling me, like, this is the guy you want to pay attention to. This is the guy. His name was uh, Martin Hamlet. And mm. Silvera polished him off in the first round with a, K, a head kick and then knees from the clinch, according to this. Well, I saw the fight, the highlights we talked about here on the show, but you get the idea. He is yeah. very good, but he's only 9-0. and Size this one up for me. How do you assess this matchup? Well, I think that that is the factor. I know, and it's funny, too, because they, these guys have a little backstory, too, because they're both, they were both teammates, right? Like, they've, mm -hmm. they've trained together. They know each other. Maybe that will actually um, play into – it could go either way, obviously, but maybe that plays into the inexperience. It, it actually uh, kind of, um, you know, covers up for some of that inexperience. Just knowing who Amari is and what he can do, it is an intriguing fight, man. Like Amari, he had like 15 fights in the UFC. He's a guy who stood in there against guys like Weidman, and uh, you know he's fought he's fought a a lot of good guys in the sport. It's cool to see him um, have like some kind of other path in the, you know in the PFL and and to be doing this. It should be a fun one, man. I, I think that Josh, like just in hearing his interviews, uh, seems to me like a, a pretty cool guy. In, th in terms of who he is, too, like just his story and his dad and everything and everything that's going on. He's been around the gym since he was like eight years old, nine years old. And I just, um, you know, this is his, his this is his breakout moment. It's kind of it reminds me a little bit about Ray Cooper back in the day when he was first coming up in the PFL. He just had this this look to him that you're like uh, kind of sneaking in there and, and, and doing stuff in this uh, in this league and becomes one of their guys. Um, so I think that he's got a little bit of that vibe and I wouldn't be surprised at all if he shines tonight. You know what I mean? I think he's got that. And by the way, dude, if Silvera goes in there and just does what, I mean, he moves to 10 and 0 with wins over guys like Omari Akhmedov. I thought he was a good prospect. Blue chip. I didn't know, but you beat yeah. a guy like Akhmedov in your 10th pro fight. Yeah, you might be, you might be now, of course, yeah. the winner of that will have to take on the winner between Rob Wilkinson and Delonte, excuse me, Delon Monte Wilkinson for folks who might not remember he had a sort of an unremarkable UFC run. He fought C.R. Bahadur Rosada, loses. And then he fought uh, He fought a debuting yes, Israel Adesanya. That's he, the main he, thing I remember. <laughs> I know. And he was trying like a motherfucker to get that takedown, and Izzy wouldn't let him have it. So that was Izzy's UFC debut. Since then, he actually has done pretty well. He's fought in the UFC twice. Or sorry, what am I saying? He fought in the PFL twice, winning uh, once in 2020. Well, both these are 2022. He beat Bruce Suto and then UFC vet Victor Pesta. Delon Monte uh, obviously enters this contest off a win over PFL and then formerly, I think, even World Series of Fighting standout Emiliano Sorti. He does have a loss to Shoeface. 
Although I can't imagine the same kind of threats are in play here. Do you have any strong opinions about Wilkinson and Monte? Not really. I really don't on this one. But <laughs> to me, you know, it's uh, it's kind of like the old Bellator brackets where it's like you got one side of the I, I don't want you know I'm not trying not to be too strong but like the kind of woodwork guys within it but then the other fight is like well that's your winner that's your that's the guy that's coming out of it um, so that's kind of how it feels to me uh, I'll, I'll actually I have not really watched Wilkinson in the PFL I, I did watch him when he was in the UFC I haven't really seen um, what he's done to his game to be a little different but uh, so I guess I'll be answering these questions a little bit later as I watch this with you man. All right, let's move on to topic number four. We have a bunch of fight announcements that we have to get to. Let me, we'll just go through these relatively quickly, see All what right. you think. Uh, set for October 15th. I don't have the card in front of me, but Brandon Royville is set to face Askar Askarov. Now, for Askarov, you know, had a real close fight, obviously, with Kaikara France, who just lost. A win over Royville. By the way, Royville has a win over Kaikara France as well. Not, I won't say as well, but has one. Um mm-hmm. Big fight for Royville. This would be his best win to date. But for Askarov to get a win over Royville, it's not like that would represent necessarily his best win, but it would be a, cl- I mean, you know, you're talking about two guys who are well suited for each other. And yeah. Askarov is kind of like, he needs a little bit of momentum to get back into that title picture. A win over Royville certainly helps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've had Askar Askarov like circled for a while. It's not quite like the Zabit. Uh, back in the day, like where you're like, that guy's going to be a champion. But I, I've had him circled like where you're like, I felt like he was going to be a champion at some point in his career. I really haven't come off that. I saw him in Mexico City when he fought Brandon Moreno. And I remember, you know, it was uh, just being like, you watch some of the things he's able to do and they're very closely. And you're like, man, this guy is good. So I still feel like he's the guy with this tremendous upside in this division and who will obviously factor in there at some point. But I love this challenge for him, man. Like going against Brandon Royville, who's also stood in there against the good guys. And I think this was a big fight for Brandon Royville, right? Like losing two in a row, you can't make it three and stay in that picture. So uh, it's a big one for him. And it's a very tough match for him to have to, you know, break a losing streak. No doubt about it. We move to Angela Hill taking on Lupita Godinez. This will be August 13th coming up. At UFC San Diego, Hill, obviously out of the San Diego area. Hill had, you know, she was pushing up there against the top of that division. And there's probably a couple times that I thought she deserved the nod and didn't get it, yeah. which is unfortunate. And now she has to kind of resettle back at a lower part of this division, still against relevant opponents and relevant matchups. But yeah, um, it was a tough stretch for her, for sure. Yeah. And again, she's what is she like three in a row? So you want she's kind of been a staple, and I feel like she's one of those game fighters who's like, yeah, just let, short notice, whatever, let's do this thing. So yes, um, another tough spot for her, but man, I, I for her sake, I hope she comes through in this one, man. Uh, Amanda Hebos taking on Tracy Cortez. Boy, I wish BC was on the show for this one. Good lord, <laughs> why? Which uh, one does he love is, here? Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, all of it. All okay. of it would be the answer. <laughs> UFC <laughs> UFC Fight Night. It'll be December 3rd. An interesting one. He boss, I think the UFC had kind of circled as like, oh, future title mm-hmm. challenger. And then she does have some obviously very good ability, but she has got some real known weaknesses too. Tracy Cortez, I thought in her last fight, looked good, but kind of um, struggled a little bit down the stretch in that fight, although she won. Um, good matchmaking. I like this matchmaking. This is good for the division. This is a nice... uh, This one could definitely go either way, and sometimes a lot of these fights don't. 
Hebe's had so much buzz just recently. Like, you know, not that long ago, man. I feel like if she slips here, maybe that buzz goes away forever, to be honest. Uh, but I still believe in her upside, man. Like, she's, you know what I mean? Like, I still feel like she's, uh, she'll be a player in the division within the next couple of years. So this is a big, uh, it's a good match for her, but it's, a, it's also a big one for her. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, they have one on here, which I know for a fact is off. So I'm not going to read that one, producers. Uh, then we move to Matt Schnell taking on Mateus Nicolau. This will be, again, December 3rd, the same card as Hibas and Cortez. Uh, Schnell, I just, you ever interviewed Matt Schnell? I have not, no. Dude, he's a smart guy. He's a different dude. Like he's He really is... Um, a lot of times when I talk to fighters, and this is boxers too, when they're really dead set on it has to be my way, they fail to calibrate that correctly. They think that like literally they have to do everything a certain way, which is their own way. And and I find that that's you can do that for a while, but eventually gets you into trouble. Yeah. The kinds of fighters that are the best that have that inclination are the kinds that also know how to put the brakes on and hand the reins off on occasion while still making themselves it's hard to explain. They still make themselves their own the the nucleus of their own operation. Mm-hmm. Um and then you get guys who just hand everything off, and I don't think that's good either. He he kind of really deftly swims in both of those. Um Anyway, I interviewed him after his last win over Sumadarji at that ridiculous Long Island fight. You, you, I, I, do you interview fighters at all anymore? Like, is that a thing that you do? Rarely. Over the last like year, year and a half since leaving the athletic, basically, I have not been talking to as many fighters. But uh, yeah, but I've, I mean, I've most of them, most of them, I've talked to at some point in time, but just never had the chance to talk to Max. No. Well, as as it stands, this is, just seems to me like a rankings fight. Else, uh, excuse me, uh, Schnell, I should say, sitting at eight. Mateus yeah. Nicolau sitting at seven. So it's seven versus eight here. That, that They make these matchups a lot. Nicolau is a good fighter and has good wins, although one of the best wins is probably via split. He's been in the UFC since 2015, but has been like fairly inactive. He had one fight in 2016, one in 2017, one in 2018, a loss. Wow. Twice in 2019, skipped 2020 completely. And then in 2021, he's been on a real nice win streak. He beat Manel Kopp. He beat Tim Elliott, and then he beat David Dvorak in his last contest. All of them, though, by decision. And a guy like mm. Matt Schnell is not that kind of guy. And by the way, um, Nicolau has fought as high as bantamweight. He's back to flyweight. Good fight. Nothing yeah. super special who to do, say about it. But favor, who do you favor in that one, man? You like Schnell? I do like Schnell. Um, Schnell's got a lot of ability. Yeah. I... Yeah, I probably would take Schnell in that one. Yeah. Probably. Probably. Yeah, it's it's close. It's close. Yep. All right. Uh, on too. the on the Bellator side of things, you have Patricio Pitbull taking on Adam Boric. I love this fucking contest at 145. <laughs> Bellator, 286, October 1st. Patricio Pitbull doing what I thought was impossible, getting his title back from AJ McKee. Uh, Adam Boric had a fucking blood and guts fight against uh, Mads Burnell in his last contest yeah. to get this. Dude, you got to love this contest. People always talk about, like, where's the quality outside the UFC? <laughs> Them two motherfuckers Dude, right know. there. And nobody talks about Boric, man. They should be 100%. Dude's like, I mean, he's like, he's like that one loss to Caldwell, right? Like, I, and otherwise, he's just like, he's must-see theater, man. I love watching that guy fight. He always brings it. So um, this is, this could be his moment. I mean, honestly, I, I wouldn't put it past him to, to do this thing and, and, and get this victory and, and suddenly change everything in that division. But um, I love watching that guy fight, man. Last but not least, I touched on this very briefly, I think, with Danny. I would love to get your opinion, but it's one of the fights that's been announced this week. A.J. McKee 
who, by the way, was wearing PFL shirts on a PFL broadcast, which is just like, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck is happening there. Kids angling. Yeah, he's taking on Spike Carlisle. And now this is going to be a Bellator 286 at lightweight, so he's going to go up a weight class here. Here's the thing. I don't love this fight. Now, when I say that, let me explain what I mean. Uh, do I think it'll be an action fight? Spike Carlisle doesn't fight any other way. It's up yeah. a weight class, so you wouldn't want to throw AJ McKee to the Wolves in that sense. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. But on paper, the difference in ability there, in terms of what they've shown, is dramatic. Dramatic yeah. difference in upside. Spike Carlisle is very athletic, but he takes a fucking ton of abuse. We'll see what McKee looks like at 155, but this could be... I'll say this. If McKee loses this, this is a real oh, bad man. sign. No, and I think that that's what they're... I mean, I would I would think that, that that's kind of how we're looking at this, too. It's like, well, it's a bounce-back fight. Um, maybe he doesn't have to kill himself, you know, making the weight. All that stuff, you know what I mean? Like, it's a bounce-back fight. He can get back in there. It's very difficult to know. Like, I've had a lot of questions from people who are like, uh, you know, did he, did he piss off, you know, Bellator... Um, he might just, have. yeah. I mean, it, it, there's got to be some of that in play, right? Especially when, like, not not only are you talking before, you know, before his fight with uh with Pitbull, you know, you're talking about potential UFC fights, which is always bizarre to like for a guy to do that. But also, like you just mentioned, I didn't see this, but if he's wearing a PFL shirt, I mean, it just seems like uh, it just seems like there's some some acrimony there behind the scenes or something like that. Well, they didn't give him. The toughest fight they could have given him. I mean, again, true. You don't want to. You don't want to be that is true. in MMA. You know this. Like when Tim Sylvia was fighting Ray Mercer, I was like, "Poor Ray Mercer." I mean, old Tim's gonna beat his ass. <laughs> and then Ray Mercer yeah. just decked him that one time, and that fucker just fell like a you yeah. know a big ass tree. That is so true. You, what, you gotta hey, be you careful. Have the odds? Do you have the odds on this one? I, I don't see the great them here, but, question. Uh, Let me see. I do yeah. have. Uh, I was just curious as to what this would. Uh, what this would uh, it's go. a great question. Think, AJ McKee, though, I mean, like, dude, he's still, I don't know how you feel about him, but I felt like he was kind of nearing that that true star status where you're like, man, it just felt compelling, everything he was saying and everything he was doing, and you got to see how he bounces back. It's a, it's kind of a, uh, he's still so young, his dad being who he is and all that stuff. I still believe in that guy. I don't have odds up here. I'm looking at best yeah. fight odds, which is where I typically go to. They don't have them listed yet, but. Um, all right, all right. Yeah, I'm sure buddy. he'll be a sizable favorite. Yes, to put it mildly. All right, a few quick hitters here for topic number five. Just a few of them, and then we'll play a little game to close out the show. But topic number five, where are you on Clarissa Shields? Because accordingly, uh, she is going to be fighting on a PFL championship card in November. Now, she I give her credit. I give her a lot of credit. She is trying a thing that most boxers won't. Now, of course, she's doing it because the economic incentives make sense for her in ways that they don't on the men's side. We should be very clear about that. But nevertheless, it is a difficult thing she is attempting to do in fighting MMA fighters who don't have, obviously, any of her boxing experience or maybe her athletic ability, but they've got a lot of MMA or jiu-jitsu yes. that can make life difficult for her. Here's my thing, Chuck. Tell me if you're uh, uh, on the same level, which is I'll watch this. I have a lot of respect for Clarissa Shields, but if she's going to be mostly boxing and then kind of moonlight in MMA, this is all it's ever going to be. Yes, that's how it feels. That's how it feels. It feels like cameoing. Like she's just, um, and it's. I still. Ha- I'm still vastly intrigued to be honest. But we were just talking about Jeff. Jeff Neal. I think that they're just two different sports. I think if you're going to do MMA, you have to go. You know, uh, both feet. Right. Like you got to do it all. And uh, I know she's got the name. I just don't know. 
if it will translate that way. I, I, I appreciate it. If she's making good money doing it, go ahead and do it. You know, like, uh, it'd be like Herschel Walker almost like moonlighting and like, you're like, hey, go, go ahead and see what you can do. But, um, she has a boxing match, right? Like in September. So it's that, that's always yes. fun too. When they've got like two things on the horizon, um, which you don't see in MMA strictly. So it's, I'm intrigued with her in general, man. I just, I think I'll watch like whatever she tries to do, but I don't really have high expectations for her MMA career. You know what I mean? Unless she really says like, I'm going full fledged into that, which I don't really think she should, but if she did, um, I'm, I, you know, I don't have the highest expectations, but I'll still tune in for sure. Uh, she has a fight against Savannah Marshall, which is going to air on ESPN plus. And for folks who may not know Marshall, I think beat her in the amateurs. Now they've had different careers since then. Yeah. I, I, I suspect shields will win, but, um, Something to keep yeah. in mind. Or, yeah, I mean, that's sort of where I'm at. It's cool. I appreciate it. I, I would love to see how well she could do. Prove us wrong, you know. Uh, but she just kind of is a boxer, like, hanging out in MMA. Yeah, what, what, that's what's what the story like. there, yeah. you know? Yeah. All right. Uh, how about this? Conor McGregor set <laughs> to make his acting debut alongside Jake Gyllenhaal. In a remake of Roadhouse, and apparently McGregor's going to have like more than just a hello kind of thing. He's going to have a speaking role, apparently a significant speaking role, and Jake Gyllenhaal is going to play a former UFC fighter, you know, turned fucking shitty bouncer uh -huh. in the Roadhouse remake. Got to tell you, you know this movie is going to be doo-doo. I mean, it's going to be the worst, but I'm probably going to uh -huh. see it. What about you? Are you a fan of the first one? I mean, in the First sense that, like, there's 80s yeah. nostalgia, pain yes. don't hurt type bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it was it was fun in the day. I watched it. It didn't hold up as well, but uh, no, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. This is the second time we've contemplated this, by the way, because Ronda Rousey was cast in this uh, in some kind of role of a of a of a remake back in the day, like a few years ago, which never materialized. The only thing that's surprising about this is I remember Conor McGregor very distinctly saying he had no interest in acting. Didn't want to mess with Hollywood, you know, that he had offers, but he wasn't doing it. So obviously we've had a change of philosophy here. And there is a little bit of curiosity, like how he'll do. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, I guess I'll definitely be. I like the first movie, if I'm being honest, man. But I'm like, I'll probably uh, I'll probably go see it. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be bad. Let's just be very clear. Oh, yeah. Not, you just have to. That has to be the expectation. Movie. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I'll watch it. I, have you ever watched the McGregor documentary? I can't bring myself to watch documentaries about fighters whose careers I've covered. Yes. Um, um so have you, have you seen it? Uh, no. Are you talking about the notorious one? Yeah. Is like it's on the, airplanes and you know, I see it on. No, I haven't seen platforms. that. I have not seen that. I'm told it's good. Like, again, I'm not yeah. shitting on it. I'm, to, I'm told it's good. And yeah. by the way, good for, listen, this is like, to me, it's like, you know, I'm, you never want to overly be like, oh, because McGregor's in movies, he won't fight again or he won't fight well again. But it's almost like I'd almost rather see him do this stuff than the other stuff, sort of. <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like this to me, like when I heard this, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. You mean they're like, stuff, oh, like whiskey baron and all that stuff like uh or, or what no do you no no i don't i don't stuff? mind that he, look dude I, I, this is where i always come back to with him and you know I, I don't know what is in his competitive heart and brian and i have kind of agreed that like i do think that connor has at least one like very good win left in him right yeah although that remains to be seen but i do feel that way yes but like it's like dude you beat the game you beat the game you know you made all <laughs> the money in the world 
You had the first to hold two titles at once. You got in. I would actually like to see him get out because, it, yeah. you know, these other guys who are at, in that way unfulfilled, they're way, way hungrier. And, dude, this is the other part of the game. Like, when you begin to, like, pay attention to the, the, the science of fighting and the way that I try, it moves like that. It moves like we, that. Yeah, if you take man. as much time off as he does, you are missing gobs of time you can't get back. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Like it, once you kind of get to the certain set, and we never seen anybody do this in MMA, by the way. You know, like a guy who is able to make whatever I don't even know because obviously a big portion of that came from the boxing event with Mayweather, but he was able to ascend into like the Forbes top athletes for years in a row and all that stuff, which we just never see. I don't know. I mean, it's funny because I kind of I kind of side with you. I'm like, I don't really need to see him do too much more. Honestly, like in this uh, in the space and the fight in the fight world, I've seen enough. But I, do do we cling to it just because we remember like so fondly like the boom period when he was doing it? Like I feel like people still want to matchmake him into all these different ways and throw his name out there. People still call him out, obviously, because he's a money fight. But I feel like journalists, you know, like are they is is the clinging to like the old magic? Is it just saying like yeah, but it was a lot more fun with him around. Let's get him back rolling again. You know what I mean? I feel like that's what people want. They, he's like the party. He shows up, the party starts type thing. And also, people kind of treat fighting a little bit simplistically. It like, like you're a bartender and you've been off for vacation for a year and then you just get back to working a shift. Yeah. You know, I'm not here to say like, you know, being a bartender is easy. I don't think that. But like, <laughs> you can miss a couple of years and go back and get your, your feet under you relatively quickly. Dude, fighting at this level is not like that at all at yeah. all like there is a window where you can do it and you have to marshal your athletic forces your your psychological forces your the things that are happening around you in your life and everything else all of this has to be summoned if you want to be fighting guys like Hamzat Chemaev like Mateus Gamrot you know you have to yeah. live a very very different way and Connor beat all of it he beat all of it you know in the most dramatic of ways like it's like dude you already yeah. won. It's almost gratuitous it's to keep point. doing this in a way. And I just, you know, with the way the fight game's going and like, you know, ugh, it's... He's a, I'm he's not a material he man, win, though. He's a material man. He's going to, you know, he's still going to take some of these fights for the, for that, for that money. So he's going to, he's yeah, going to... fair enough. Which is part of the trade, <laughs> which is part of the trade. Yeah. And I will watch. You know, it's funny. I'm going to, I'm yep. going to bit a bit of a teaser here. I interviewed W. Kamal Bell, the comedian and author and uh, producer. Oh, of yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I asked him, are you a Connor fan or a Connor hater? And the conclusion that he came to was that he was a Connor customer. In the end, that's what we are. <laughs> Connor customers. You know what I mean? We're Connor 100%. customers. That's just how it goes. 100%. Um, yeah. In including with Roadhouse. All right. Last but not least, Logan Paul looking to make a return to Good boxing. Boy. Before the end of 22, he apparently he told Pat McAfee, I'm a boxer again. Well, it doesn't quite work like that, but... Uh, quote, we're getting back in the ring. We're going to go from professional sport to professional sport. I want to get a fight in December. I have some people in mind, but I can't say. You know, you only get one first impression. That's part of my ability to make moments. I like making first impressions big, so I want to wait until we're ready. I'll say this for this kid. I mean, my level of interest in watching him box is low. Yes. Um, I will Same. say this. Someone sent me some highlights. There's Look at BC. Look at BC. Huh? <laughs> Probably holding looking, in the world's most dis disgusting fart imaginable. Um, but <laughs> I w someone sent me some highlights of Logan Paul. I guess it was like, like on SportsCenter's Instagram 
doing whatever the fuck he was doing at a recent WWE event he was competing on. He actually looked to be pretty fucking good at it. Now, I don't yeah. know shit about professional wrestling, so if, if I'm wrong, by all means, people out there can dead wrong me or whatever, but um, I did see some potential there, which seems right because he is athletic, he does have a big mouth, and he knows how to use it and, and self-market and comfortable in media roles. The boxing thing for me is like, I, I you know, I don't, yeah, I don't care. Right. Well, I'm with you too, man. I just, there's really... There's really not a lot of interest on my from me on that, but I will say that both Pauls, it feels like whatever they try, and I I, I give them a ton of credit because whatever they try is fairly successful. They're they're pretty good at it. I did see the wrestling thing, and uh, you know the guy looked like he had been doing. That, that's not an easy thing, even choreographed and you know following what you're supposed to do, but to make it look, you know, in the world of pro wrestling and and as natural in that world as you're supposed to. Um, he looked like he'd been there for years. You know what I mean? He was able to like, I, I don't know, like a frog splash. I don't know the actual terminology, but he went off the top rope outside and, and through a table, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty, pretty cool to see. I mean, I, I don't really pay that close of attention, but I mean, he's pretty seamless at these things. And so is Jake at just kind of like jumping into other areas and handling it. But I will say that my my level of interest in his boxing career is pretty low as well. I, I, there's just really no I, like obviously with Jake, there's a lot of intrigue, but it feels like that's more his terrain. I just don't have that same thing with Logan. God bless him. All right, yeah. let's play our game, and we'll end the show on this. It's time, Chuck Mendenhall. Yes, sir. A game we call let's Buy or Sell. Boom. I think we have some graphics. There we go. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Love All it. right. We got 10 of these. Are you buying or are you selling? Number one, the flyweight champion in 2023 will not be named Moreno or Figueredo. Oh, shit. Did you cut out? Say something again, Luke. The flyweight champion in 20... You can see it on the screen, too. The flyweight champion in 2023 will not be named Moreno or Figueredo. What do you think? Buying or selling? I am buying that. I am buying that. I'm going with my boy Askarov. I was just mentioning this whole thing. I think that he leaps back into the picture and he's going to have it. I'm gonna. I'm going to uh, sell that. I think it's going to be one of the two. How about yeah. That? Yeah. Fuck you think Figueroa going to be able to get down to that weight again? That's the big concern, right? Like that's the. Whole I don't thing. know. Yeah, that part I yeah. don't know, but I think one of the two will be able to hold on to it. All, All right. right, number two, buying or selling, Sean O'Malley will be ranked inside the top seven after his fight with Piotr Jan. Now, we didn't say he was going to win. We didn't say he was going to lose. Yeah. We just said he's going to be ranked up there after his fight with Jan. Ooh, I'm buying. You know why I'm buying? Because I mm-hmm. think he's going to beat Peter Jan. Is that Are crazy? you out of your fucking mind? Do you really I think, think he's going to beat him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's going to beat him. This is set For- It just sets up, man. I mean, sometimes you have to look past the... Uh, you know, the just the, the yeah, the the rankings, but not even just that, but even like all of the visual evidence and context and everything. You know, the styles, all of that. You have to and just look at the the pattern of chaos that the UFC goes through, like all the time. And I could just see this after a a fight where I think it was largely anticlimactic with Pedro Munoz, where now he gets this ridiculous opponent nobody expected him to get in this big card out in Abu Dhabi, and then he goes in there and wins it. I could just see this scenario happening. That's all. Just a gut feeling. I'll say this to the point again. I, I when when I, when I saw Ray Mercer beat fucking Tim Sylvia, I was like, anything is possible. <laughs> truly. Yes, uh, anything is possible. Sean O'Malley yeah. 
100% can beat Jan. I'll say this. Jan should not lose this fight. He should right. not lose this fight. All I right. can agree with you on that. Number three. Featherweight will have a USA-based champion before the end of 2024. Meaning, obviously, Volkanovski, who is from uh, Australia, would mm. no longer be the champion in that case. Now, that doesn't mean he loses it. He could give it away. Who the fuck's to say? But by the end of 2024, now we're asking like two years in advance here plus. Sure. Volkanovski won't have it. Buying or selling? Um, I am going to sell that. Oh, interesting. I'm going to buy it. But go ahead. Tell me why. Are you? Well, yeah. I'm, I'm going to sell it only because I... Right this second, and this is these are tough, man, like because so much happens within a year, given, and we're talking about 2024, that's a ways off, but I just think that Volkanovski is that good, you know? I feel like he's that good, where, uh, it, it, so I, it, if, if he loses or whatever happens, it might be because he bounced to lightweight and eventually he was just stripped of it or had to, you know, forfeit his belt, like, that's how it would happen, but I honestly, I don't foresee that happening, so uh, I think he retains it. See, I'm going to say he doesn't because he's 33 okay. now. He turns 34 in September, so about a month away. He turns a little bit more than that, like six weeks or so. He turns seven weeks. He turns 34. Add another two and a half years to that. You know, you're talking about 36 at that point. That's hard to be a 36-year-old champion in, in this division. Um, These are we'll tough, see. man. We're, we're forecasting all the way to 2024. These are tough. Yeah. Listen, these right. are stupid, but that's why we play that game. All right. <laughs> Number four. Here we go. Uh, Buying or selling. Right. Uh, we're going to stick with Volkanovsky. Alexander Volkanovsky will not compete at lightweight in 2023. Buying or selling? No, oh, selling. I'm selling that, man. I think that, I mean, he's already, like, he's he wants to do this very badly. I think, and like you mentioned, his age. Like, I think there's a point in time where you're like, you know what, man? I don't want to mess around too long. I want to go, if I'm going to make history, I'm going to do these things. I want to do it now. And he's at the top of his game. I think for sure he's he's uh, he's headed to lightweight at some, sometime, at some point very soon. I would agree. I think that's right. I think there's probably at least one lightweight fight uh, in that year. Okay. Yeah. Number five, Kamaru Usman will stay at 170 for the rest of his career. Ooh. Uh, UFC career. UFC career. Buying or selling? <sighs> uh, I'm going to buy this. <laughs> I'm going to buy this because I feel like he's... Uh, what does he have? Like five defenses right now? Like he's he's been doing very well. Like And he's starting to enter that GOAT conversation in that division, which had a, a GOAT in the sport. And, you know, uh, just a... Uh, an all-time UFC fighter in George St. Pierre, I think that he'll want to um, to break that if he potentially can. And to do that, he's going to have to stay there. And at the end of that run, I think that he would be fairly fairly through the game, to be honest. I don't know who else would be left for him and he, in his age and all that stuff. So I'm going to say he's going to stay there and he's going to try to, to get that record. I think he's going to do it almost exclusively like St. Pierre did, and then try and get one last one. Ooh, up away I can see that. I can see this. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah. All right. Uh, number six, we will see Izzy fight Pereira Ooh. at least twice in oh. the UFC. Now, of course, they've already fought twice in kickboxing, but we're talking yeah. about two times in the UFC. Buying or selling? I'm going to buy this. Yes, I um, agree. Go ahead. I'll, yeah, I'm going to buy this only because I th I feel like they've now tapped into this natural rivalry. And obviously, Izzy is bothered by this whole thing. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be predicated on whether or not Alex Pereira wins this fight. 
Although that would be huge. If he wins this fight, obviously we're going to see it again. But even if he puts up a very good showing and throws doubt into the thing, makes a competitive fight and all that stuff, which I think he will, I think that the storylines would be there, regardless if it's in a year's time or whenever it will happen, I think that they'd see each other again. I agree completely. All right, number seven. The light heavyweight title will not be defended more than twice by the same person in the next three years. So understand that they could win the title and defend it two times, but never more than that over the next three years. Buying or selling? So I'm buying that it will not. I feel like now it's a musical chairs thing up there, man. And any given night, a lot of those guys, I feel like anybody could beat the other guy within that top space. It's the, now that John Jones is out of there, right? Like he's no longer the landlord of that division. I feel like you're going to have a lot of guys, um, changing hands. I feel like it's going to be like it used to be back in the day when it was just a hot potato. <laughs> I mean, I, I, and there's no one guy coming up. Like when John Jones was coming up, be like, well, that might stay with him for a long time. There's no one guy. Is there like that you see that's like, he's going to get it and he's not going to let it go. No, I don't see that. I see I, you could maybe argue on Kaliev. On Kaliev is about as yeah. close as that you come with that. But even then, he is not. It's just hard for me to see. Like, well, yeah. on Kaliev is the only one you could maybe say that. About. I would, I would agree that he's. Yeah, if anybody's going to do it, it'd be him. I think. All right, number eight: Francis Ngannou and Tyson Fury will begin contract negotiations before the halfway point of 2023. Buying or selling? I'm buying that. Yes, I'm buying that completely. Yeah. it's. I mean, come on, man. It's a big payday. We've seen this. And uh, yeah, I'm buying that 100%. All right, number nine. Rose Namajunas will retain the strawweight title, uh, let's say, through the end of 2023. Oh, man. So... Yes, I'm going to buy that. And he, and, the, and this is one of those weird, like, Ouroboros things where it's like one person can beat this person, we beat that person. I think that Carlos Esparza will drop the title at some point because this is the kryptonite of Namunas. And then Rose Namunas will then beat that person and regain her title. Agreed. All right, and then last but not least, they put pound for pound here, but I guess we mean, well, I guess you could say pound for pound or goat or whatever. Okay. Valentina Shevchenko will not pass Amanda Nunes on whatever list you have. Most people would obviously, with Nunes being double champ and having the wins over Shevchenko, they would rank her above Shevchenko. That will not change, right, until yeah. Amanda Nunes retires. In other words, as long as she's active, there won't there will always be this imbalance. Oh, man, that's a toughie, but I will buy that. I will buy I'm that. I will buy only, that too. Yeah. I think just because, you know, they have fought and I think they will probably fight again. Um, and who knows what happens there, but I think that Nunez right now, that's Mantle, especially after what she just did to Pena and showed the, like the, you know, who she is again, all that stuff. She kind of reinforced it. I think that she stays there. All right. And that ladies and gentlemen is a show. Well done, Charles. You know, we started out with, uh, my earbuds fucking the world up, but we ended (laughs) on a strong note. I feel like, Hey, you always recover. You, you, you recover well all the time, man. I got a crazy, I didn't want to say anything. I was distracted. I got a crazy ass text message from someone inside of MMA, a, a manager uh, in the middle of my, in the middle of the show. So now I have to go and deal with that. Uh, oh, man. Fun times. It's going to be real fun. <laughs> uh, no, it's okay. Uh, what is going on with you this weekend? I know obviously we have the fights tomorrow, PFL tonight. You going to do anything with the fam? Uh, not actually, it's one of those quiet weekends. Uh, probably just watch the UFCs. I actually contemplated going because it's not too far, obviously, to go down to the PFL. 
but there's just a there's there's too many like things you've got to you know get through uh, to make that happen. So I'll be watching all the fights and uh, laying low this weekend, man. Well, my wife and I were supposed to be in New York City today because tomorrow yeah. was supposed to be the Jake Paul fight, and so we yeah. had planned to uh, go up there. And then when the fight fell through, we couldn't get a babysitter to do anything this weekend. So that's what I'm doing this weekend. Oh, I'm going to be, you know, no, no, it's cool. I'm going to take my no, daughter is... to the pool. Yeah, it'd be there good. Go. I, I like doing you that. Get a, you get a picture of her sleeping. I love those ones. That series that you did. <laughs> <laughs> there was like a two year oh. period in my daughter's life where I'd be like, all right, we're going to go do something fun, something different. And the first thing she do whenever we go there is just fall the fuck asleep. It's the greatest. You know, it's, like, it's the greatest. Right. You know, yeah, kids. Uh, let's see. I want to remind everyone our socials below. You can take a look there, put up the graphics. You can follow the great Chuck Mendenhall on uh, Instagram, on Twitter. You can follow Morning Combat and me as well. BC will be back on Monday. Yes, he will. So we'll talk to him then. Showtime.com is the label that pays. You can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. You can, uh, If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. want to remind everyone, World MMA Awards. World MMA Awards. Put that QR code up there. And again, if you're, if you're watching on YouTube, you can just put your phone up to there. Or if you're listening on the audio side worldmmaawards.com slash nominees. So it's plural there on awards and nominees. And then uh, morningcombat.store. Go get your loved Hashtag ones repeat, some merch. baby. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You know, I hate the word repeat, though. Or at least I'm always... Um, I always I'm always like... Uh, I never use it. So I, yeah. this, is a, this is a pet peeve of mine. I'll end the show on this. This is a pet peeve of mine. In the in the line of work that I did in the military, one of the things, because I did what's called call for fire missions in artillery. So I was positioned, let's say, 20, 30 miles away from the cannons. They obviously can't see what they're firing at, so they're relying on you to tell them what they're firing at, what kind of charge, all, all, different, all different manner of things to tell them what to fire. And the command to repeat is a very specific command. It would basically mean just unload the fucking cannons on them, Okay. So you would never say that unless, like, under a very specific circumstance. If you need someone to repeat what they were saying, you say, say again. So if you're ever watching a military movie and someone's on the phone or the hooks or the singar and they're saying, repeat that, bitch, no. The military cons <laughs> consultant fucked it all up. You would never say, I repeat. You would never, ever say it. So I always go right, and say man. again. I say again. All right. Well, well, listen. How about this hashtag back to back, baby? Here we go. Yes. There now we go. We're talking. Back right. to fucking back. All right. Uh, say again. Yes, it is my birthday today. Yes. That's, is it really? Yes, it's my birthday today. Jesus, I'm old as man. shit. Happy birthday, brother. Yes. Look at that. I get to spend part of your birthday with you. That was awesome. Yeah, that's right. The the, nice. the least interesting part of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Yes, it is my birthday. I'm an old piece of shit nice. today. So there you have it. Uh, all right, Charles. Oh I will see you soon, my friend. Great yes, job sir. as always. There it is. Oh, what a nice little graphic. I appreciate that. Very, very kind of you. Um, thank you very much for all the well wishes and all that good stuff. And uh, I'm falling apart. I don't know how many years on this planet I have left, but I <laughs> plan to spend them doing things like MK. So there you go. If it was buy or sell, I would, uh, I would say, I would, I would buy that you have at least ten years left. I would buy. Yeah, that. I would. I'm probably going to, <laughs> I'm probably going to buy the farm pretty soon, based on the way that I feel. But we'll we'll figure that out at a different time. All right, for the great Charles Chuck Iceman Mendenhall, the man in the hat for BC, who's back on Monday for Malka for CBS for Showtime. I'm Luke Thomas. Enjoy the fights this weekend. We'll talk to you all on Monday. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.